Welcome to Head Change, the podcast that puts you in a better headspace. I'm your host, Levi Strom. Transcripts of today's episode are brought to you thanks to a generous donation by Jeannie Nassaro at Bee Haven Hill Farms. Thank you, Jeannie. On this week's episode, I speak with Jeff Nordahl, founder of Jade Nectar, about Landrace cannabis strains. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Yeah, hey. How's it going? Good. <laughs> Are we... Uh, what's Looks up? good. <laughs> what's up, man? I just came stumbling out of my greenhouse. I was dealing with something. So, uh, oh, shoot. Kind of lost track of time. But that's all right, we, man. You still want to do this? Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, we're rolling. I see you got the banjo and the guitar. I got my guitars behind me. So, oh, we yeah. Can, we but, can jam uh, out. Live a pretty simple lifestyle here. Uh, just live in a cabin up in the forest. And we grow cannabis and spread it with people who are interested. So that's yeah, no, I, yeah, no. I've I've been I've been wanting to meet you for years because obviously we make some similar products on the market. Um, I have a ton of respect for anybody, you know, kind of doing things the right way, you know, and using the infusion process and and really trying to make whole plant medicine. Um, well, that's, getting getting lost a little bit seems like yeah and it's hard to know what's right wrong it's all relevant you have to make your own choices and such but um kind of where we come from and where our strengths and sort of trust and confidence in um that we're putting out the best medicine we know how to right now is just leaving the plan alone yeah <laughs> and trusting nature that nature got it right um and the universe then also the multi-thousand year history of people just consuming cannabis as is uh if if someone can show me a hieroglyphic uh or some carving on some ancient temple or such that shows a uh, butane extraction machine making distillate and that's that was their medicine. I might change my mind, but um, it, it seems that about a few thousand years history of cannabis working as medicine and as a sacred plant before all these laboratory nanoparticle infused distillate junk food, basically the high fructose corn syrup processed food model applied to cannabis. Um, yep. Yeah, so uh in the fossil fuel industry model, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, using derivatives of of, you know, oil drilling, you know, these natural gases, you know, they they're capturing butane and these hydrocarbons from drilling and oftentimes a lot of people that support butane say, well, hey, you know, they're they're drilling it's just going to get lost otherwise they're just going to burn it up at least we're recycling it but in fact from what i hear you know they oftentimes are virgin drilling for these gases and destroying pristine wildernesses to pull out the hydrocarbons and natural gases and it it would be so sad and of course there's going to be there it's capitalism to try to find the cheapest way to do things and and uh, to hype the marketing and the nanoparticles and all that but philosophically i'm totally with you like i believe like getting out of the way and letting the plant express itself 
and staying true to ancient customs and wisdom that surround the manufacturing of this medicine, this sacred medicine, like you put it. And I really think it is too. Um, but I'd love to just kind of learn more about you, Jeff and Jade Nectar and, you know, how you got into growing cannabis. And I definitely want to talk with you a little bit about Landrace, because I think that's a term that most people don't even know. And, and I know you're dedicating a lot of your efforts at your farm to growing these Landrace uh, genetics. So um, how, how did you get into growing cannabis? Maybe just kind of give us a brief history. Uh, okay. Yeah. The, uh, real quick cliff notes, basically. Uh, I mean, I've been a cannabis enthusiast in altered states and psychedelics since my early uh, teen years. Um, just was always fascinated. Um, big fan. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, I have a lot of, I was kind of a punk rock kind of alternative kind of in that that style back back then and came to psychedelics and cannabis sort of through this punk rock thrash metal scene and such and that but music you know that kind of tells you where your head's at and such uh so um sort of counterculture and then got into i grew up in missouri uh the grateful dead never actually came through missouri in the wow. 80s and 90s so uh I probably wouldn't have graduated high school if they had. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then I uh, ended up just on a whim going to a Grateful Dead show in 91 in Kansas. And uh, yeah, so that sort of solidified the whole psychedelic uh, concept and just the movement and uh, just seeing, you know, 50,000 people all. You know, now, had, had you been to a Grateful Dead show before then, or that was your first, no, your first one, no, and your no. first one on psychedelics? Yeah, and had a whole psychedelic history prior to the Grateful Dead. So, that was yeah. my mistake. I went to a Dead show sober, and that yeah. was a huge, huge mistake. And then I went to one on mushrooms, way better. So, it, pro, pro tip right there. <laughs> it really is, and I mean, it, it is all about the music and everything, yep. too, and I love just the music and everything but um yeah it's kind of the point so the dead uh, the dead turned a slash punk rocker into a hippie basically is that is that more or less what happened yeah well full spectrum that there were other ways to express yourself through and then you know and then getting into music and such to tell you if you especially if you listen to the old grateful dead 60s stuff it was actually punk rock i mean the yeah. energy was so vibrant and intense. talking about like aox and moxo and like the really early stuff or yeah and like the uh if like you that, just listen the heavy san francisco that, sound yeah. yeah if you just listen to some of the jams too i mean they're pretty um intense not aggressive or hostile it wasn't commercial at all like the, the yeah. dead didn't get commercial until a few few years later when they needed to really start selling records and they're like yeah we can write casey jones write a few pop tunes but yeah, yeah no, i yeah. like that and early then, stuff too uh, just tapping into uh just all the different musical genres and that uh yeah i mean uh country and folk didn't have to necessarily be um whiskey music <laughs> like it could actually be pretty aggressive and uh intense emotions and cathartic and such like that so anyway don't want to dwell too much on grateful dead but that's some core foundational stuff music's a music's a big part of this podcast you know i'm a musician yeah. and, and cannabis and music obviously go hand in hand so and by the way here's here's something to think about as as far as land race too 
Uh, the reality, if you go back and listen to music from the 60s and 70s, which some people feel is like the ultimate renaissance of, uh, of psychedelic music and the whole format sure. of rock and roll and improvisation, even though the improvisation goes all the way back to jazz in the 20s with like Louis Armstrong and everyone. But anyway. Big stoner too, Louis. Yeah, exactly. There seems to be a common thread. Yeah. <laughs> People that make good art usually are doing drugs. That's, that's uh, that seems to be the thread, or at least yeah, when they're young, for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't want my brain surgeon or my accountant right. uh, necessarily doing those. But if I go to a concert, I prefer to have my musician yeah. marinated in some nice sure. psychedelics. Yeah, oh, yeah. But but anyway, uh, the thing is is um, so land race, that's all there was back in the 60s and 70s, was land race. Define what land, yeah, define what land race is. I know a lot of people are not going to have any idea oh, what that term means. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, so land race, there is a lot of confusion about that. Some people think land race means just the native cannabis, let's say, of Afghanistan or Pakistan or Mexico or Africa. And they think that it's like a wild occurring native species that exists out in the wild without human touching uh, right. but that's not the case at all cannabis is a domesticated plant but just like cucumbers and beans and okra and such like that there's uh in different parts of the world there are like armenian melons that are unique just to that area and it's not because they were wild and native that occurred in nature it's just that particular region or those human beings that village bred over time what their uh, aesthetic or their ultimate melon or cucumber would be to satisfy their cultural aesthetic their taste their dishes and such like that. So if you have, let's say, some um, Armenian melon, it might it will be totally different from a melon from India or uh, one that's grown here for Safeway here at the supermarket. Um, so it's just a uh, it's a unique sort of like heirloom, but it's a unique. I was variety. just wondering what is it basically? Would it be akin to an heirloom varietal of cannabis? Yeah, but it's tied to region. Mm -hmm. It's because, like, so as far as um, like Madagascar, will and it's not that everyone in Madagascar grows the exact kind, same kind of weed, but uh, you know, but if you were to generalize an area, mm -hmm. yeah, they they have because of the genetics that they had uh, available to them at their fingertips, and then through their selective breeding. They uh, over, you know, generations and generations of, of breeding, they develop their own variety that's unique just to, let's say, that village in Madagascar. And so that is a land. It's been isolated from other strains. It's not at this point. Sure, at one point it was probably a, it was a hybrid, but because it's been so inbred and inbred with that human intention and selective breeding it's now a completely unique variety it's 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 not unsimilar from also dogs uh like i have like people know what a rhodesian ridgeback is or an anatolian shepherd or a great 
Pyrenees. Those are actually sort of land race dog breeds. So like the Anatolian Shepherd is found in Turkey, in the Anatolian mountains of, of Turkey. And they bred it specifically to watch their sheep to be fiercely independent, to be able to right. <laughs> fend for themselves. Uh, so, so that Anatolian Shepherd, it may be related to other shepherd type dogs, but no question about it, when you see an Anatolian Shepherd, it is its own unique variety right um and i think so, that's a to pause you just for a second i think that's a nice finer point too because i think a lot of people can understand dog and horse breeding but they have a hard time with cannabis genetics but cannabis has a male and a female just kind of do genetics 101 yeah. and if you take the male pollen and you put it on the female flower you'll get a cross between those two gene pools and everything the history that comes with those two gene pools which is kind of where we get our modern hybrid, you know, allegedly of crossing kind of these old school Indicas like from Afghanistan with these sativas from Latin America and Southeast Asia, right? And yeah. kind of what I'm hearing from you too is really, and I had always assumed Landrace was kind of that open pollination, natural cannabis, but it oh, sounds like- Totally what, domesticated human right. intervention, hundred percent. And it sounds like a defining feature to be a Landrace cannabis strain is that there's some regional history behind it. So places like Afghanistan, Pakistan, Southeast Asia, Latin America that have been cultivating and breeding these plants for hundreds, if not thousands of years, would qualify to be landrace cannabis. Does that sound accurate? Abs absolutely. And, so some uh, wild hemp grown out in Wyoming in the field is not necessarily landrace. That's no, just that's, some wild. That's feral. Feral. That's okay. Feral. The landrace okay. has human intervention and human domestication and human intention going into that breeding process. Gotcha, so cool, I didn't just, know that, that that's yeah, new to me. Yes, unique to that. And then uh, also pigs, like uh, I happen to have Cooney Cooney pigs that are from New Zealand. Um, and those pigs were bred for a very specific reason for their- Those are really little ones or? Uh, no, actually they're kind of like a pot belly pig. Oh, okay. Uh, definitely look them up. They're one of the coolest pigs out there. Nice. They don't uh, root, uh, so they don't tear things up. They can actually fatten up just eating grass and fruit. They call them orchard pigs, too, because they wander around in the orchard and just eat the fallen fruit. Uh, and then they have a really nice uh, demeanor, super friendly. And um, I'm not a Cooney Cooney pig specialist, but I do have them. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's just a reflection of a culture's aesthetic and environmental needs that they have infused into their breeding to meet their aesthetic, cultural, environmental needs. And that, because of those human choices, uh, they result. the result is a pig, a dog, cannabis, a cucumber, uh, that's specific to that particular region. And why, so now, so now that kind of people that are listening kind of understand that, that, you know, cannabis is the result of breeding. Can we talk a little bit about indica, sativa, and hybrid? You know, these terms from my perspective mean very little today and pretty much everything's a hybrid, but can you unpack that a little bit for people and help them understand what these terms are supposed to mean at least? Um, and again, I'm, I just want to make sure that uh, it's clear that I don't claim to be a specialist or know that this is just my own interpretation sure. of things. But um, 
I mean, indica, just the plant, like the physicality of the plant is unique. Um, and these indicas would come from India, right? In the like Hindu uh, no, Kush actually, mountain range or? Uh, well, on India, the tropical side and such, those are the sativas and everything. Mm. But so the indica tends to be mainly um, like Afghanistan and Pakistan. Sorry, my daughter's playing her ukulele. Oh, that's all right. A little background yeah. music, so it's good. Okay, well, anyway, cool. If it's not distracting. Um, so definitely encourage the arts, but it's hard to concentrate. When <laughs> <laughs> um, but so indica, I mean, I guess, again, I'm not, you know, like a formally trained botanist or horticulturist or such, but I mean, indica tends to be uh, squat, hardier plants that are in like the Hindu Kush mountains in these drier, more arid, uh, extreme temperature zones. Um, they don't have the luxury of being these long, lanky, super long flowering time things because the winter will come and just destroy them. So they need to get their work done quick because the winter's coming. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, moisture. Uh, so they also need to remain kind of short and stockier. Right. And, uh, and that also helps them deal with more extreme, you know, wind temperatures and things like and that. And this is where we get kind of the eight and a half flowering, you know, OGs and stuff, right? These would be kind yeah, of this classic. Yeah, so the indica naturally just has to for that uh, variety to survive. Um, hold on one, just one moment. Sure. My daughter did go outside, but she's right outside my window. So. <laughs> now I can hear it. Just one moment. <laughs> no problem. Just hey, honey. Break. It sounds absolutely beautiful. I love it. Would you mind just going like over there? I'm totally supportive, but it's distracting. Thank you. Anyway, we've been working on our whole quarantine uh, coexisting as a family <laughs> For thing. Sure. And Every once in a while, we hit some bumps, but well, that's why um, this, is, this is kind of cool right now because everybody gets kind of get all these Zoom meetings. Everybody gets a little window into people's real lives. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so uh, just the reality is, in Indico, if you're trying to grow, you know, a 16 or 18 week flowering tropical equatorial sativa in in arid region where the snow is coming in October, it would, it would just never produce seeds. So it would be totally right. impractical in that region. So the, um, so the indicas are a reflection of their environment there. Um, and this is a generalization of what's indica and sativa. And then sure. there's a lot of in between things uh, I have, I've never grown them before, but I have seen there's actually some uh, sativas that are grown in Afghanistan. Um, now they would have to be a shorter flowering period, but um, and how they determine that that is sativa, I don't really know. Right. It seems, it seems like we oftentimes in the industry is based on the leaf structure. You know, the indica is kind of yeah. a shorter five prong leaf, and the sativas have the broader nine to eleven prong leaves. But and the long, even that doesn't thin. right. But even that doesn't hold up under scrutiny sometimes. And I think we're not really going to know until we get better at genetically testing 
varietals and figuring it out. But anyway, I didn't want to open up the can of worms. Anything to I just kind of wanted your quick opinion on it because I think it's something where there's just a ton of confusion. You know, and I, I hate it, going uh, into shops and they're like, "Do you like indica or sativa?" And it's like, I don't even really know how to answer more, that question. It's really more because because we grow. The weird thing is we grow a lot of what would be considered land raised pure pure indicas. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a huge fan of an Iranian. Uh, uh, version and have grown a bunch of uh, Afghan uh, straight from African seeds. I mean, the beauty of the internet and all the seed trading is you can tap into some of these really cool mm -hmm. genetics now without actually right. having to transport yourself around the world. Um, right. I mean, it's cheating in a way, but in reality, a lot of people don't have time, especially in this day and age with a pandemic, to be traveling around harvesting seeds. Plus, a lot of those seeds or, or genetics are starting to get hybridized as well. So it's, you know, kind of a crapshoot, even going right. through the area of origin to find the real deal. It's can right. be difficult. Um, yeah, I experienced that in Oaxaca. I tried to find some real Oaxacan sativas and everyone was like, we've got AK-47, you know, from California. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what will happen. You could hike up to some village in the Himalayas, you know, thinking you're going to find like some ancient and they'll be like hey man we got blue dream right i was just gonna say yeah you'll probably find blue dream at the top of a, a monastery in the hindu, <laughs> hindu mountains so it's <laughs> from it's kaliva happening. Uh, so yeah it uh i mean we're in a global world now and uh yeah so it is happening so thankfully yeah there's you know people are doing the preservation work and such like that so yeah, uh right uh, but um, and how but different yeah, are these? Yeah, how different are like this Iranian? I've seen some photos on your Instagram, which is beautiful, and but um, the the buds just look so different. The color spectrum, the density, the, everything about them. I'm sure the smell is just probably truly unique. And and outside uh, of the Blue Dream Gelato world that we're kind of stuck in here in California. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the oh, and by the way, what I was trying to get to uh, didn't quite finish that up was with the land race and with the music of the 60s and 70s if people think the cannabis today is better than what was being consumed in the 60s and 70s just listen to the music right, right. <laughs> and uh you know people oftentimes say stronger which is just based on thc percentage and that's might be true generally but I'm sure if you went back to the 60s and 70s, you could, if you tested some of the best of the best, some of the tie sticks and stuff, you know, you would get incredibly high THC percentages. Oh, it's, well, it's high THC, but it's full spectrum. Right. It's psychedelic. Right. And don't tell me that Bob Marley was smoking dirt weed. Right. Or Jerry Garcia or any of these other musicians, uh, the Beatles, that don't tell me they were smoking shit weed but right. didn't do anything just listen to the music yeah um but uh but the interesting thing yeah with these uh all of the pure indicos that we've grown that um are supposedly pure origin land race indicas from afghanistan and pakistan iran um i've grown a few other, from other regions but uh indica with those is not they're not couch locked at all now they may be very relaxing 
and your body may feel very loose and relaxed, uh, kind of like you went and got a massage. But this whole sleepy, couch locked, lethargic, like I can't remember my name and I'm going to go fall asleep with a half eaten piece of pizza in my mouth sensation. I haven't experienced any land race that does that. And you've probably um, terpene tested these. And, and are, what are you seeing in the terpene profile of some of these land race? Actually, I wish I could say that I've done a bunch of terpene tests, but how? One, one more cost, huh? <laughs> uh, well, it's that. And then kind of resist this whole. You're going more by your nose. Yeah. Tell me what's sure. good when yeah, yeah. I just. Just for the scientific years. inquiry of it. What? I'd be curious to see one just because what I would expect to see having tested some what I would consider, you know, unique cannabis is, you know, I'll lab test OG Kush and I see three to five terpenes really dominate, you know, you get a lot of myrcene, beta caryophyllene, alpha pionine, limonene, and then you test something that's more unique and I'll see 17, 19, 20 cannabinoids at a much broader spectrum where you're not seeing yeah. myrcene at 2% and everything else barely registering. You're seeing a real variety and you're getting that entourage effect and that synergy of these terpenes and cannabinoids and i imagine that's what would be going on from a from yes. a scientific perspective but i i'm with you man i think following your nose and, and not letting the labs dictate everything is is, is a great approach and it's gonna yeah. from a breeder especially i'm so glad people are doing that because it, we need to be doing that if everybody's just going down the same path for the same nose profile and we're going to lose some of the best genetics they might have medicinal qualities that we need a and and just enjoyable qualities to smoke something unique and and switch it up a little bit and stimulate your brain in new new ways you know yeah and it's cool to know what's going on and be aware of it and such but letting the labs just dictate all of your decisions and such just to show numbers on a piece of paper is just not that mystical or scientific. I mean, it's like, yeah. are you going to talk to a shaman in the rainforest about their, um, uh, you know, their ayahuasca and then start Milligrams. to the lab, uh, <laughs> right. start choosing which shaman's ayahuasca is better based on, you know, levels of certain compounds and stuff i think it's, it's really interesting you bring that up and imagine the two different cannabis industries we would have now if there was no lab testing and everyone was truly following their nose and their experience kind of like how we used to back uh, in the, the 215 days better, it was better uh the 80s i agree the 90s mm -hmm. uh what, and even 10 years ago i'm talking about it, the dispensaries i feel like when you could go and you get these mason jars of bud and, and you'd have all these great and there's no percentages no one no one cared it was, how does yeah. it look? How does it smell? You know, what's my, what's my experience when I'm opening this jar and looking at it and smelling, it? is it registering? Is it connecting with me? Now it's branding, the strain name, the THC percentage. You're left with very little choices, unfortunately, as a consumer. Hey man, Everclear is the most potent. So that must be the best. Right, right. That would be the <laughs> logical conclusion of that. Yeah, it's going to take a while. The industry will, I think, pivot back around because it's prohibition that's caused this mentality. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think it's right now, um, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, bigger, better, faster, heavier, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then the look, too, has also become, uh, it's kind of silly, like all these tough, like sort of macho folks are involved in a beauty pageant, 
you know, as far as they're growing ornamental right. flowers. They are uh, yeah. to to take photographs of and airbrush them and uh, and you know kind of treat it almost like it, it starts looking like I don't mean to be vulgar but it starts looking almost like you know like porn photography or or or, or a beauty pageant kind of thing yeah. where how things are judged and the actual effect and the experience you have almost is not even relevant anymore. It's about big numbers big looks, big colors. Um, so the whole value system is just turned upside down and yeah. it, it, it's tough to uh, quantify and evaluate um, a product with where it's kind of like you have to try it and experience it and it's this unexplainable just connection and resonance you have. You can't put that in a little slogan or trademark on a package so it's we're kind of stuck in this weird where the the marketing dysfunctional marketing system shopping mall marketing system is now being applied to cannabis and it, it's just not really a good fit do you think the regional designation that california is mapping out um is going to help that a little bit and help consumers not really make more... because just Capital investors will set up commercial industrial farms in that region and call it. It's so, I mean, there's some value, I think, right. to the region, but it just, uh, even the people who are, I don't know, I, I'm kind of in my own little bubble. Uh, so, I don't really know what else is going in, out in there. In the bubble you're in, Santa Cruz, which is where you're growing, um, correct? Yeah. In the mountains. I, I love Santa Cruz sun-grown flower. I, I used to live in Big Sur and I, you know, I used to date a girl in Bonnie Dune. And I, I mean, I've smoked some incredible weed. Santa Cruz should be included in California's regional designation. It has a unique cannabis Absolutely, history. But I'm going to give you a total buzzkill. Okay. 99% of the actual uh, regulated, the licensed Santa Cruz County farms are located in the commercial ag zones in the lowlands in Watsonville. Nothing sure. against Watsonville, sure. but that is the lowest, foggiest, most toxic pesticide region right. of the entire county. So the real deal Santa Cruz mountain flower is all being done either black market or and I don't mean to, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or make anyone feel bad. We had to put a lot of work into it. But our farm, our, our farms may be the only farms that are licensed in the Santa Cruz mountains. Wow. The yeah. actual terroir that Santa right. Cruz is right. known for. Uh, we have one in uh, San Lorenzo Valley, like in Boulder Creek area. And then one um, in uh, Soquel. Soquel is a, a, a town in uh, Santa Cruz yep. County, up in the gotcha. San, along Old San Jose Road, close to the summit. Um, how so, many? How many people? Do you know? Do people had licenses in Santa Cruz. Do you know how many? And and if you're the only one left 
you know, I mean, this uh, is happening up in the Emerald Triangle too. I mean, th this is what I've been afraid of for well, years is they're going to push everybody out into the flatlands, into the agriculturally that's, that's zoned regions, and we're going to lose the personality. Uh, uh, that's what's going on. And in reality, uh, I mean, for me, cannabis is a mountain plant. Mm -hmm. almost everywhere well, where it's grown kind of like we're talking about the these land right we're talking about this the it's, it's the, always it's a mountain it, it it chooses to grow in the mountains it likes the slopes right uh, it likes high drainage about the ethereal it know, likes to be high you yeah. know it's connecting it's with, with the god and then high and dry again if you were growing let's say pinot noir grapes and the county force you to grow it down in the lowlands in the fog bank you would not have um so people are you know contorting and adjusting and doing everything to bring so i'm not dumping on anyone who's doing sure. that i'm sure there's some really good stuff being being grown but it's you know you have to contort and adjust and correct quite a bit to pull things off in these areas where if anyone had a choice to grow cannabis anywhere, the lowlands in a commercial ag zone with pesticide drift and everything else going on is probably not the first place people would choose. Um, right. But that's where everyone's been forced because our our county, the powers that be, kind of a long story, but they many years ago passed a very progressive cannabis ordinance that allowed everyone under Prop 215 to grow up to 3,000 square feet of canopy, which was a shit ton for back then. Right. Um, so that seemed like a real win for our local cannabis community. The problem is that got published in High Times Magazine and every weed publication. Hey, if you wanna grow weed, Santa Cruz is your place. So all these people from around the globe walked to Santa Cruz and then just started trashing the place and doing these fast money hustle black market ventures and they destroyed the whole place kind of ruined it for everyone so uh and it was now they've gone full the other side of the equation and clamped down sounds yeah. like yeah so the the little dance is we have a very pro cannabis population so if our board of supervisors um bans Canada, which they actually wanted to, they would have been overridden with a, a, a voter initiative to override the right. so, so what they did was they said, okay, we'll let you grow wherever you want, get registered and such, but then use uh, regulation and fire code to weaponize the regulation to make mm -hmm. it impossible. So they actually are saying, yeah, you can grow. We support you and everything. But by the way, it's going to cost you millions to put in the driveway and the water storage you need. So yeah. uh, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. most people just chose the path of least resistance, building commercial ag. And that's where most of the uh, county government, and, whatever. And what, what made you decide to fight the good fight and preserve your farm? And I'm sure it took a massive investment of labor and energy and money and, and uh, it was it's kind of a long story, but um, and there's a thing called lobbying, which is not has nothing to do with money 
or backdoor deals or anything, but you go out and meet with your local representatives, you show up at the meeting <laughs> and you make your case for yeah. what you want to do. Plus our, our whole background. And again, I'm not trying to be self-righteous or, but, but um, the cannabis too, when you're coming from a place of, we want to connect, help connect people with cannabis in a positive way if people are interested not evangelically trying to push cannabis on anyone but if anyone especially who's dealing with a, a health crisis that conventional medicine is not uh, set up to deal with too well like these autoimmune diseases um, myself I actually have Lyme disease that's where I was turned on to the the healing wellness powers of cannabis. That's a whole nother story. Mm -hmm. But but by uh, putting that goal and mission first is that uh, just wanting to serve the community and know that there's people out there in these sort of hopeless, helpless health crises that's not their fault and that yeah. cannabis may actually be an option that could either, one, cure them, or even, or just improve their quality of life tremendously in a non-toxic uh, way. Um, if if that's the true motive, uh, and not trying to be like build a cannabis empire and claim that you own cannabis and exploit it for, you know, for your own personal financial well-being, but if if you just want to serve the community and connect help people connect in a positive way with cannabis, which is really nature, which is the universe, which is the natural flow of things. People seem to understand that. And it's, it's tough to villainize that mission. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so if you can propose that, that that's where you're coming from, um, sometimes you can get a little positive response from the powers that be and uh you just got to prove that you're not going to embarrass them yep. if they say yes yep. or something now i've encountered the same thing when i started awakened in 2014 at a farmer's market in los angeles and i'm bringing to the table you know raw olive oil whole plant infused tinctures and topicals that i made from weed i grew in my backyard with love and care and, and there's this amazing product and I get sued by the city of LA for prop, really? prop D violations. Anybody in LA will know what I'm talking about. And um, it was all bullshit, but I ended up, I ended up getting dropped from the case and I represented myself in court and I, and I, I really showed up and, you know, and I showed up in suits and like, and, and talked with the city council. And I think I really, I really advocated for cannabis. I was like, I'm not backing down. This is medicine. You, there's, we have a homeless crisis in LA. Why are we even focusing on this? But I wasn't mean. I showed up and I, and I was respectful and I, I engaged in a conversation with them. And I think I really converted them. And, and by the end of it, you know, it took three years of litigation. But even the 
the deputy uh, city attorney in LA came to me and was like, man, I'm really rooting for your brand because I really believe in what you're doing. I know this is medicine and, you know, Godspeed basically, <laughs> you know, and um, I think maybe, maybe I, you know, maybe I changed a few hearts and minds, you know, in the LA, you know, city council's office by being such a passionate, you know, advocate for it. And when you do show up and say, hey, look, I'm making these tinctures and topics for people with chronic debilitating arthritis and, 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 and all these autoimmune diseases, it's hard to argue with it. And when they can see your intent is real and you're not just trying to sell a bunch of Girl Scout cookies, you know, to 25 year old kids, which is fine too, but it's a very different approach when you're taking that medicinal approach. And, you know, I, I really, res- yeah, I really respect your brand Jade Nectar and, and you make tinctures. I think you're making a topical as well. So you've stayed kind of really in that, that medicinal uh, lane. Yeah. And by the way, I'd love to hear more about your company at some point. And it's just, it's just very interesting that you came to the conclusion of whole cannabis, olive oil, sure. and raw cannabis. Well, I started doing, so when I, so I was living in LA in an intentional community, I was growing cannabis in my backyard. I was doing a light depth in East LA, okay, very scary. Um, but I was growing these CBD strains, you know, <laughs> And I was, there was a lot of herbalists and healers there. I'd come from Big Sur, which is a Mecca of herbalists and healers. I was very in tune with natural herbalism, even though I'm not, I'm a self-taught herbalist. So when it came to manufacturing cannabis products, one, I thought, well, how can I do this at scale? I can't afford a super critical CO2 extractor. But I can dump olive oil and whole plant cannabis together, throw it in a stainless steel vat out in the sun for on a hot day, and then strain it with cheesecloth. I can do that in my kitchen. And I started doing that um, with raw flour, with, with cured flour, but not decarbed flour. And yeah, so dried, I, right? Dried flour. And yeah. I, I'd broken my neck surfing and I'm allergic to painkiller. So I had a direct need for cannabis. That's why I started making these products was to help myself never to have a brand or to sell product that came way later. But just through trial and error and formulating, I figured out that THCA, CBDA were having a much greater effect for me on my pain levels and that they weren't intoxicating. I could go to work. I was pouring concrete and doing roofing at the time. So I could not be intoxicated on a roof. You know, the bigger you are, the harder you fall. And this was like in Big Sur, Bigsby Canyon, like I would have died. So CBDA and THCA probably saved my life in more ways than one. Cool. Uh, it's, it's just amazing that... I think we came to the exact same conclusions. Yeah. yeah. But from total separate worlds, we haven't met until now, but I think we came to the exact same conclusions on what was um, affected. Myself, I just had, I had Lyme disease, really. um, And uh, just, uh, yeah, I was in my mid thirties and all of a sudden debilitating Lyme disease with all this inflammation. I had all these chemical sensitivities and such where I just constantly had headaches. And uh, I hadn't even touched cannabis for probably about 10 years with every once in a while, you know, a few events and such, but it, it, it just wasn't serving me. Uh, and then also, I, you know, and I kind of believed the propaganda. I thought uh, cannabis was actually probably frying my brain or something at some point. And if I, continued to consume it it would eventually 
<laughs> have negative effects on they've invested so, a lot into that negative propaganda campaign you know it, yeah. it's not a lot yeah, of people so, uh, are there yeah so i you know so that's i but um but yeah when the, the line thing hit you know i went through a bunch of different ways to try and address that none of the conventional stuff worked um but i wasn't satisfied with just believing that i was going to be you know uh feeling awful the rest of my life and i was right. going to live to the finish line so luckily my one of my doctors uh happened to be uh jerry garcia's doctor at one time mm. as well. so he's pretty hippy dippy out there guy um but anyway he just recommended cannabis as for helping with inflammation and such so i just tried you know a few products at the local dispensary and sure enough did notice like wow this this is really my body's feeling comfortable for the first time in quite some time um so and then this was this was around 2010 uh and that's when we had that really nice ordinance here in santa cruz uh so i was aware that we could grow our own so i grew you know, I think like 20 plants my first year, uh, amnesia haze, mm -hmm. cherry pie, and then some really cool Hawaiian yeah, things that ones. I wish I could find because it turned mm -hmm. out my first run was one of the most killer varieties. <laughs> Beginner's <ever>. luck. <laughs> and I had no idea how cool it was. Uh, mm. But um, but anyway, while I was tending to the garden, I ended up starting to eat the leaves like clipping the leaves off instead of yeah. throwing them on the ground. I just thought I'd eat them. And then I noticed that the effect was just, well, you know, the THCA. Eating the THCA. Yeah. I just think yeah. for any autoimmune disorder, THCA is probably going to be the best or certainly one of the lead cannabinoids for that. Absolutely. And no one's aware of it until mm -hmm. Oprah Winfrey or Dr. Oz or Sanjay Gupta does a documentary on raw cannabinoids. No one's going to really quite not going to enter the ministry right. but i'm convinced that that's where most of the wellness medicine is in the raw cannabis yeah oh 100 i mean they're far more potent you need less of them uh it's it makes sense that the natural plant the raw plant would our body would receive it better it's gonna mimic our endocannabinoids even better than the decarbed versions and i'm a fan of all of the cannabinoids but of the phytocannabinoids, I think THCA and CBDA in particular are the two least understood, least talked about, least studied with the highest potential. Well, and when we, um, so a little fast forward, so I was eating the leaves, then I looked on the internet because I was like, oh, I better make sure they're not toxic or something, that I'm not doing something harmful to myself. Right. And that's right. when I stumbled upon uh, Dr. Courtney, who is uh, doing the and I was like, oh, there's a doctor and a whole community who are advocating for juicing leaves. So um, from that point on, for two years straight, I just consumed leaves every day. Mm -hmm. Ju them juicing my... them or just actually I'll put them in your smoothie hole? Yeah, yeah. I just take them right off the plant. But then uh, because in between seasons and such, so then I started um, uh, freezing the. So the here's a big thing, by the way. Um, Dr. Courtney, and by the way, his work and getting that message out there is huge. Oh, he was uh, he was the one that first exposed me to THCA too. Yeah, I, I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't be talking about this with you if not for Dr. William Courtney, hundred percent. So absolutely huge. But one thing that uh, at least my own interpretation is he advocates juicing, 
mm-hmm. which is where you separate the pulp and just make the the juice. Um, but very soon, if you start doing that, you'll find that you're going to have a giant mound of like five pounds of pulp and a mm-hmm. Dixie cup of juice because there's right. not a lot of liquid in those leaves. Yeah. If you go and eat that pulp that got separated, you'll find that it still gives you the effect. So the medicine's yeah. in the leaf. So very quickly found that uh, to efficiently do this, you actually, in my opinion, you don't want to juice it. You actually just want to puree it, mm-hmm. just like pesto. Sure. Don't throw away the leaf. Don't throw away the fiber because that's actually a lot of the good stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. so we started uh, just, you just get a blender and puree it uh, like pesto. I throw a little banana or something to keep it um, homogenous so it doesn't separate and yeah. then freeze it. And then you can just eat those ice cubes for years. Yeah. They're they're totally effective. And, and that's where Jade Nectar actually started. We were actually a cannabis frozen cannabis juice cube company. Yep. I remember that. Yeah, that, that product is not on the compliant market, I, I, I imagine. Probably too um, difficult. Well, here's here's the thing. We got it passed in um, in in the state thing because we had we ended up, anyway. We started a whole collective and started meeting with people because that was just you know it starts blowing your mind when you see you give it to friends and people with migraines and MS and fibromyalgia and such like that start reporting like oh my god this is the thing that's helped me the most in the last fifteen years. Um, and I can actually get off some of these gnarly medications and just, you kind of almost feel an ethical, moral responsibility that you need to share this message with people Absolutely. and try and get it out there. Um, that's that's what's so amazing. It's so potent. I remember back in the Prop 215 days when we could demo and give people the real thing. I would give people some of my product and, and I would be like, by the time you're done, like if I saw somebody limping in, I'd be like, rub this balm on, drink this. By the time you're out here, I promise you, you're going to be feeling better. And 99% of the time they'd come back and go, oh my God, like what, what is in that? Like this, yeah. is, this is raw cannabis, <laughs> you know? Yeah. This is the pure, it's, the real, the real shit here, you know? It's, it's absolutely amazing. And once you see you that, can, you, you can heal that. people with it. Like, I think we, I think sometimes the claim, and this is just my opinion, sometimes the claims of cannabis get exaggerated by the industry. I, I think raw cannabis really does heal people. Like I, I just firmly believe that <laughs> for any autoimmune or inflammatory related ailment, if you're, if you're consuming raw, phytoactive, rich, whole plant, full spectrum cannabis, you're, it, there's nothing better. There's no greater single wellness biohack, blah, blah, blah product on the market. Um, you know, that you could be consuming on a daily basis than the raw cannabinoids. And even going a step further, because these, not many people can consume raw cannabis unless you're a grower, right? So to put it into a product, by mixing it with olive oil, like you do, and like we do at Awaken too, by, by adding that long chain to carrier oil, the olive oil is, and it's far superior to MCT, in my opinion, or really anything else. Remind me to mention MCT oil because I've done a lot of research on it and I think there's there's something I would like to share. Sure, please do. And I was just going to make the point, you know, uh, you know, not that I'm a huge fan of epidiolics necessarily, but if you read the research papers that GW Pharma did with epidiolics, not only do they say CBDA is far better than CBD for epilepsy, but they also say that long chains like sesame oil, olive oil, long chain fatty acids are far superior 
to medium chain triglycerides like MCT oil and, and others. MCT oil burns up faster in your liver, but that doesn't mean it absorbs more cannabinoids. The long chains actually deliver a much more accurate dose long-term. The effects last longer, you absorb more of them. That's my understanding. And please talk about well, MCT. Um, so MCT, um, I'm not a uh, chemist or bio, whatever you would call the uh, analyzing what MCT is, but when MCT first started showing up on the scene as can in, in cannabis formulations, I was like, oh, maybe I should look into this because coconut oil, you know, is healthy. Why is it liquid? And, and MCT first showed up as it was called fractionated coconut oil. Right. But that wasn't accurate. a very yeah, <laughs> right? and that wasn't a very sexy name. Right. Uh, so they quickly changed the market and call it MCT. But I did all this Google research, like how is MCT made? Where does it come from? How is this stuff made? And uh, I finally went to an actual MCT manufacturing plant in Malaysia, like started interacting and contacting the people who are making this stuff to find out what the hell is this? And why is there like a media blackout that you can't even see what this stuff is and why is it? And here is something that most people are not aware of. I'm not making this shit up, but the vast majority of MCT oil is not from coconuts. It's from palm. The shit that... I know all these people who go into Whole Foods or whatever, they'll read a cookie ingredient and it says palm oil on it. And they're like, fuck that, save the orangutans, I ain't mm-hmm. eating that. And then they'll go guzzle MCT oil. Right. And MCT oil, unless it is totally clearly stated that it's organic coconut MCT, and that's even you're taking the word of someone on the other right, side of some the certification company too that you know has no um, accountability it doesn't really care and you can't actually analyze mct once it's processed because there's no plant dna in it right. it is just right. a molecule of completely fractionated chemically processed fractionated molecules right. but the vast majority of mct is made from palm the stuff that Greenpeace and every other environmental uh, movement is saying we need to boycott and ban this stuff because this is the most environmentally disastrous crop they're, on the planet. They're mowing down rainforests to plant palm plantations. Yeah. No, I'm with you. So, the environmental reason alone is enough, but there's also an absorption reason to not use MCT. MCT oils, oftentimes, I've done that deep homework too and yeah if you're getting steam distilled from virgin coconut mct okay yeah I could, that's probably all right but most of it is you know extracted with you know acid acetone or naphtha or some, some solvent that they use to quickly extract uh, the long chain fatty acids and get them out so that it stays in its liquid form um, so there's probably solvents in it it's uh it's shipped halfway around the world you know it's it's from around the other side of the world (laughs) it's really a cheap product that marketing has made into this health food keto diet thing and it's really and the industry is laughing all the way to the bank you know and we've seen this movie before margarine right right yeah 
margarine, by the way, now is banned in Europe because it's so unhealthy. <laughs> where when I grew up in the 80s, hey, right. you were right. This idiot. is the palm it's, oil industry rebranding margarine. You're absolutely right. This is the margarine of the tropics. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, that next time somebody says MCT oil, I'm going to call it margarine oil. <laughs> it, see what they say. It really is. And it's palm, and we're calling it uh, orangutan tears. <laughs> in reality, right. Now, you're let's, supporting the let's, palm industry. let's compare anyway. this to olive oil, right? Now, I like sourcing olive oil because it's a ver extra virgin olive oil is a raw product, it's pressed olive juice basically from the fruit of, of the olive plant you can buy california grown olive oil so your carbon footprint is just exponentially less than buying coconut or mct oil it's one of my favorite things about it and the quality is better olive oil is a long-standing product there's a better supply chain intact there's better certification processes intact people take olive oil seriously in california yes. italy spain there are people when when they say hey this is extra virgin you better believe that it is. And there's still fudgery in the olive oil industry. You still need to buy from really quality brands and make sure that it's not being mixed with something. There's been some kind of schemes from Italy where they're cutting it with canola oil and stuff. But um, the really good olive oil is so healthy. It has so many, you know, um, polyphenols. And, well, the and polyphenols are incredible. anti-carcinogenic on their own. It's a, right. it's a medicine. As it, so the oil is a medicine then synergistically mixed with cannabis. And, um, and also historically, olive oil and cannabis came on the scene with human civilization about right. the same time. Yeah. And, and they've each got like 8,000, 10,000 year track record and never have they come up as any study that it's detrimental to your yeah, health. They've always been elixirs. And, and yeah, we, we came to the same conclusion with our, we source our olive oil from a farm in uh, Paso Robles. And we go straight, and this guy is like a complete geek about the olive oil. Like he mills it himself and everything. And we store it in stainless steel drums, not even plastic. And, so and when you see olive oil like that, that's that fresh. I mean, most olive oil you buy at the store, even if it has an expiration date or a manufacturer that's recent, it's probably pretty old if it's coming from Spain or Italy. Oh, I've when gone you get the fresh like 10 stuff. 10 different brokers and yeah. different chains and then been shipped over. Yeah, <laughs> huge difference. And you know, oftentimes people try those tinctures and when they're actually full of real terpenes and whole plant and, and, and polyphenol and, and all that, it burns their throat and it's alive. And when you compare that to a bland MCT strawberry flavored tincture, sometimes people go, I don't like this, you know, but the medicinal benefit of that medicine is about 10 billion times greater than the MCT. I mean, obviously I'm exaggerating, but may maybe not, who knows? Um, and, you know, sometimes getting people to, it requires education, right? I mean, getting, pe getting people into cannabis and getting their nose into the plant, actually going to real farms and seeing the plants actually grow in nature and actually understanding how this stuff is made because there's such a disconnect. And I just really hope that we in California here and other parts of the country can really stand up against the corporate onslaught that's coming 
and can maintain the integrity of this plant as best we can. And I think the way to do it, Jeff, and you've been echoing this throughout this entire interview is to stay humble, to let the plant lead, to honor the plant, to respect its history and, and the ancestry that comes with this sacred practice that we're doing. And I think if we do that, as Nietzsche said, great forces will come to our aid and the plant will guide us. I really believe that. That's, and the perspective of this is a 10,000 year journey or history yeah. of cannabis interacting with human beings. I mean, probably goes beyond, but as far as organized civilization and the relationship, we're, we're on a 10,000 year journey right now. So our little blip right now is a very small period in that entire movement. Yeah. And um, if, if we keep that in perspective, um, yeah, it, it gives strength, confidence, and some clarity as to where we are as humans in this journey. Yeah, it's, and, it's humbling. And, and one of the things I like to echo as often as I can on this show is I firmly believe with all my heart that cannabis is what, like the Rastas say, is going to heal the nations of the earth. It's going to bring us together. It's going to restore our, our soil, our atmosphere. It's going to heal our bodies naturally. Everyone loves cannabis republicans democrats and every you know everyone literally loves it we need to just like, get out of this draconian repressive domination culture that wants to you know that's what this is all about is just really my my perspective is just maintaining power over people you know and to literally control herbs and plants that can heal us is the ultimate form of control um but anyway jeff I, thank you so much yeah. for being on the show i really appreciate you taking time um, your your knowledge your mindset your humility is really inspiring and i just wish you the best up there and i hope to shake your hand someday yeah where what part of planet earth are you <laughs> I'm, I'm down I in southern know where you are i'm in southern california I'm, oh okay we'll say los angeles for brevity's sake so okay well uh very cool well um yeah i would love to find out more about what you're doing and just agree with every concept you stated today so likewise I think, uh, and, and i think it's not unique to there's a lot of people i think who've come to similar conclusions and it's not necessarily right or wrong or anything but um it's just but, a particular approach that needs to be preserved you know and, and acknowledged and um and i think and it that, will i think it will i think i think there's a hunger for that so hopefully um yeah kind of will some people who have this this attitude and this narrative and this cultural aspect will kind of rise from the ashes of this first wave of venture capitalism driven yeah. cannabis. <laughs> so well, and I, I know you're humble, but just so people know where they can find if they want to try Jade Nectar, you're in dispensaries all over the state, right? With your tinctures uh, not, and topical. Not really. We're hyper local. Mm -hmm. uh, we did pre-COVID, we started venturing out into Southern California a little bit, but it just became too challenging to support. A big state, yeah. Yeah, it's a big state, and then not being able to physically uh, be, be there, there to assist. Yeah, yeah. No, I know this, but you have to everything. educate. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we've just kind of stayed. We're, we're very happy for the time being, at least just serving Santa Cruz, Monterey, and some of the Bay Area, and that's about as far 
as we're going uh, as of right now. So, um, but uh, who knows? I think, that's a, I think that's a good approach. I mean, it's better to stay small and do it well than to try to expand and start to cut corners or have the wheels falling that's, off, so. Yeah, and that's that's exactly, yeah, what are we, you know, all of us have to ask from time, uh, daily, why are we doing this and what, what are we trying to accomplish and who are we here to serve? And, exactly. Yeah. I have to ask, I, I make sure to check in with myself on that every day. And I, I am feeling more optimistic these days. And the, maybe the podcast is a part of it because I keep talking to cool people like you that kind of reinvigorate my spirit because regulation has been tough. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too into it, but you know what I'm talking about. It it's, it's been painful. Yeah. It's for yeah. the small, for everybody, but for the small operators, I think in particular, it's been extra painful. Um, and, uh, and it's anyway, a distraction from the yeah. work we really it's set the whole industry back from innovation and i think advancing the cause of of kind of new products and these you know quote-unquote minor cannabinoid based products like the raw cannabis products have kind of had to wait wait you know for their time but it is coming now i know people are going to want to know we talked so much about flour is there any are you guys do you have any plans of releasing some of this landrace as, as jarred flour or pre-rolls uh, or anything uh yeah well thanks for asking and the answer is yes in fact last year we were actually going to um try and do some of that uh but we we're in santa cruz where we had the really big uh fires last year right um so uh just the quality it wasn't crap it wasn't toxic all the tests clean everything fine with it but the the actual terpene expression was not a plus because right. two three weeks of blacked out sun just the plants didn't reach their full potential gotcha so trying to introduce the concept of land race and that uh you want to put your best foot forward yeah exactly we didn't want to you know go hey you guys <laughs> Right. consider some of these other ancient strains and such <laughs> like this and by the way they, they smell ancient <laughs> yeah yeah they kind of smell like smoked ham yeah that's what everyone wants is smoked meat flavored meat. yeah so um so they weren't they weren't popping the way they should but everything has to be footnoted with this but uh with this little asterisk but provided this year if we don't have fire in our region and by the way hearts go out to folks way up north because yeah, the dixie fire is is out of control right now it, yeah. it's so devastating and so rough and just so sad on so many levels and we were there last year we didn't burn but it was it got scary close so just wish all those people the best um but provided if our region doesn't get smoked out um we are planning on doing um some flour uh either trim jarred flour or at very minimum pre-rolls i can't wait to smoke it uh, just because i need to get i need to mix it up you know I, i've i've you know the regulated market's so funny it's like you know i can't even get my own products you know it's like my you know it's like trying to get even my own products from like my distributor it's like i might as well just go and buy them from the dispensary and I've been buying a lot of store-bought flour lately and some of it's all right. I'm, I'm kind of finding, you know, some stuff that I like and I strongly prefer sun grown, but it gets so dry in the little jars and that, 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 that's the problem we need to solve. You know, it's like, I want to bring the tie stick back or something, something that can help preserve the correct humidity, you know, of, of the sun grown. Uh, well, the, it, um, some of the stuff we're running this year, 
uh, his original Malawi mm-hmm. uh, Gen X that came to Santa South Cruz. Africa. Yeah, that, uh, that's one of those eighteen-hour ones you're growing, or no, that's a whole nother. That's Different. a whole okay. nother deal. Gotcha. Uh, we're doing some full season uh, Malawi stuff that actually came to Santa Cruz in the '70s, mm-hmm. uh, but it showed up wrapped in banana peels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kind of did like the tie stick thing. Only, um, have you have you heard of? Um, there's a couple of strains in Big Sur that um, are pretty legendary that have Malawi in it. Uh, have you ever heard of Chamba? I've Malawi Gold by Afghan, um, a real spacey hybrid, but sativa dominant hybrid. Like, forget where your keys are, what planet you're on, spacey. Um, well, this um, and this is somebody kind of long but we're working with someone or just calling him yoda right now mm-hmm. that is old school 70s he actually knew the original hayes guy rl here in santa cruz um, yeah, is that the bodhi seed guy um well uh, bodhi's bodhi's a totally different uh he's he's younger but he's tapped into a lot of He's in Santa Cruz, right? Yeah, he's in yeah. Santa Cruz, and that's that's a whole nother uh, thing. But who we're working with this year is just someone. And at some point, we'll maybe publicize this a little more. But it's it's someone who long, long history of cannabis cultivation since the seventies, top notch outdoor, doing it old school style. Um, but also very uh, significant in uh, the whole movement and activism and legalization mm-hmm. uh, and rooted in the compassion as far as uh, compassion towards uh, HIV pace, patients and uh, chronic cancer and uh, um, uh, terminal patients and everything like that. So beyond just throwing really good cannabis but on all points just more of the parts in the right place and yeah, yeah and a whole these almost half a century these old school of, people are on another level man i think you have remnants of it and i think so do i but the real ogs that are like all about it like they don't care about the money they don't care about the celebrity they're like the real deal they're, they're uncorrupted uncorrupted that's that's it and there have been opportunities to sell out mm-hmm. and the pharmaceutical companies come knocking and everything and uh you know choices are made what what that's why i'm i'm hopeful for the industry because of people like your yoda and i know there's a bunch up north too that have kind of kept a lock on the genetics and and the potential and I think they're going to kind of just slowly, when the time is right, start to kind of release this stuff out and let people start to play with it. And I think the best is yet to come. Like there are flavors of cannabis that we we can't even imagine yet within the medicinal properties. To, and if it to can follow. be, it should all be open source. And that's what we're doing a THCV right. thing that we're got, we just want to get. And this has to do with, you know, there's a push to own certain cannabinoids right. and patent them and FDA regulate them. And so CBD actually is as FDA approval and technically GW owns CBD. Right. Uh, but good luck stuffing that genie back in the bottle at this point. So that's what we're kind of hoping to assist the process in some way of getting um, 
these cannabinoids out in the public domain, just so they're just so ubiquitous and everybody can have access to them that it, it, it there shouldn't be any lords of the cannabinoids right. no, no human created these they came from the universe and we all have a right to access to them and yep. um and that's where uh, the lobbying so, comes in i think is we need we need intelligent people that can speak you know the vernacular of the legal vernacular the political vernacular to translate that message because i think you're right and it needs to be open source for the benefit of the industry for the benefit of humanity you know but also people need to uh revere some of these genetics and not just start i mean they can do whatever the f they want with them but it, it would be nice if they didn't just get all tangled up in apple fritter muffin gelato sure. og right watermelon right. hate whatever yep yep that's um, all the, so the hype the hype strains and brands and you know and I, I fall prey to that stuff too i like to i want it's like i've smoked apple fritter from fresh baked i want to try it it's like it's popular the cannabiotics i smoke the indoor stuff too because i like to keep my finger on the pulse and nine times out of ten i'm disappointed with the really flashy indoor and it's like just give me the good sun ground i get it's way more psychoactive uh, that's, far more that's far more psychoactive i don't i don't even i mean i'm not really a snob, but I'm entitled to have an opinion. But most of the modern stuff uh, feels more like feels more like an opiate to me, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. a sedative right. and a numbing than an actual amplifying and stimulating, yeah. uh, inspiring experience. So, right. Um, right. but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're certainly entitled to your opinion. I think your opinion is a good one, and I, I wish you the best of luck out there, my friend, and keep keep doing the work you're doing it's super important and thank you well, again for being on touch, the show right? definitely jeff yeah for sure and i man. think this is great absolutely great what you're doing because uh it's so hard to communicate right now and uh, get some of these ideas out there so it's it's just really cool that you're doing this so thank you so much all right all right well have a good day go play some ukulele with your daughter or farm or i'm sure you're going to be back in the garden <laughs> well, we're, actually, <laughs> we're actually harvesting iranian today oh so, awesome uh, right on nice of, uh, 18 hour flowers it's early we're usually yeah. ready fourth of july but oh, amazing we got, we got a late start due to all the weird stuff going on in the sure. world so um but that's that's a whole nother thing <laughs> but anyway all right, all right man. well hey thank Peace. you so much really really nice meeting you cool to sure. be, uh, Definitely. Live here. yeah and, yeah uh, the virtual meeting you know cool we'll be in touch all right man peace out take care thanks thanks for joining me today on head change the podcast that puts you in a better headspace. I've been your host, Levi Strong. Full transcripts of today's episode are available on our blog at www.awakened.shop. If you'd like to listen to more podcasts like this, you can join the conversation on Anchor FM and YouTube. Until next time, peace.